Welcome to the 28th episode of Two Tankers and a Cat. We are your hosts. I'm Charlie. And this is Russell. So, first announcement. I got a little surprise for you, Russ. What makes this episode special? I'll tell you what, it is a special one. You got it. It's a one-year anniversary. We have been doing this for a year now. A whole year. Yeah. We did our 25th episode a while back. And now we've reached the milestone. We started this back in October. Yeah. And uh, actually, beginning of October, yeah. we actually started talking about it and getting everything together. 2018. And uh, I, I went back and listened to our first episode. And you remember what it was? The Mark V. Mark V. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That yeah. seemed like forever ago. Yeah. Very, very first tank that the Americans had. Yeah. First heavy tank. Yeah. We're also going to talk today about another American tank. And I'll be honest, uh, this tank, this whole line of tanks was so bad. We, we, the United States couldn't give these away. Uh, but we'll get into the story. Um, uh, what is today's uh, episode that's on the Marmon? The Marmon Harrington Combat Light Tanks and Tankettes. Yeah, and then we're also going to talk about the MTLS. 1G14, it's the double-barreled tank that they had. Oh, man. They tried to classify it as, you know, kind of like a medium tank. And yeah. I'm like, eh, it wasn't a <laughs> medium tank. Pushing a medium. But, it, yeah, it, we're going to put p- pictures on Facebook like we normally do. And it, it you got to see it. It's a, actually a double-barrel. Double-barrel tank. Yeah, double-barreled 37s, I think. Man. And, and had like eight machine guns on yeah. it. Yeah. So, what was it? Why Why did we go make machine guns all over tanks? I don't know. Good we question. We did that with the Lee and the M2 and some other yes, stuff. We did. Okay, we talked about the anniversary. Let's do some shout outs. I uh, definitely want to give Andy Crow a shout out for being a Patreon uh, subscriber. Yes, yes. Thank you, Andy. And Warren Ben, still with us. And Christy McCarty's in, uh, started last month. Yeah, yeah. We really appreciate it. Yes, Just, we do. Th- that's our first female. First female. Nice. Pa- patron, yeah. We got uh, Kevin Sheehan and then Kyle Montgomery. And then what was the other guy's name? Uh, O.S. O.D.S. Thero. Uh, O.D.S. Thero. Yeah. I always kill his name. Oh, I know. And everybody's favorite, Rick Schmidt. Rick Schmidt, yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he tunes in every time I stream, and we have a new game. Uh oh! You're gonna have to tune in. And Drink got, every time you kill, get killed. Is no, that what the game? By is? Arti- <laughs> every time I get hit by artillery, and, and we've been doing this for a little while. Yeah. And I've got probably thirty people that you know are constant sure, followers, sure. and then I get you know people all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, actually, I got uh, up to nine thousand views on one of my videos from Dang. streaming. Nice. I know you guys aren't probably interested in you know digital tanks, but you know that basically that's hey, what if for nothing else, get on there and look for the history aspect of the game. I mean, these are historically pretty darn accurate they really tanks are. in this game. And if you ever want to watch my stream, it's great because I get shot a lot. He does. I guarantee you, he gets but, shot up. But but the game is 
every time I get hit by artillery, the guy's got a drink. Oh, no. Okay. After an hour and 15 minutes, everybody was hammered. Oh, Everybody wow. was just hammered. Oh, man. So if you want a good excuse to drink yeah. and come play drinking games with me, yeah. yeah. And, and if you're playing against Charlie in game, make sure you're hitting the crap out of him with your arties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's... That's what I'm trying to say. Oh, After know. an hour and a half, they're they're only having to take it one drink, uh-huh. and they're hammered. <laughs> now there is a second part of the game, but uh, you know oh, you, yeah. you have to tune in for that. Yeah, yeah. That's when I kill artillery. <laughs> but uh, uh, um, do you want to tell them where they can find you streaming? Um, you know what? I'll just put it on Facebook. Okay, we'll I'll just put it put on, a Facebook. Link on Facebook for that. And yeah, so easier. But uh, uh, yeah, it is a ton of fun. Yeah, and uh, I try to be Facebook friendly now because uh, I, I don't want to end up uh, in Facebook jail. Yeah, I know. Already had your experience with that once. So okay, yeah. <laughs> Facebook jail. Yeah. Well, blankety blank blank <laughs> blank. But uh, okay, mm. Russ, let's get started. Uh, tell us about this. I'm killing this name. Typical Charlie. How do you say it? The Mormon Harrington. Thank you, combat tank, light tank, and tankettes. So, Russ, tell us about it. Yeah, the Marmon Harrington Combat Tank Light Series were a series of American light tanks and tankettes that were produced for the export market at the start of the Second World War. Okay, give us some uh, design and development on it. In the mid-1930s, the U.S. Marines required a light tank that could be used in amphibious operations. After trials with Christie amphibious tanks, Marmon Harrington produced a light, turtless tank with a 0.5-inch or 12.7-millimeter M2 machine gun and two 30-caliber or 7.62-millimeter M1919 machine guns. What is it the deal with? I don't know. It didn't even have, you know, an anti-tank gun, but yeah. they're like, hey, we want a tank and we want machine guns we all over it. dual M1919s <laughs> on this thing. And we want it to float. Wanted to float. <laughs> yeah, that was the other requirement. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. This was the first light tank to meet U.S. Marine Corps standards when it was designed with a crew of two consisting of the driver and a gunner and protected by up to half-inch, 12.7 millimeter of armor. It was named the Combat Light Tank 3 or the CTL-3. All three machine guns were mounted on ball mounts on the front hole. Machine gun tanks. Oh. Well, okay, Russ. Uh, give us a little about nah, this. Nah, you're knocking my tankettes here. Uh, I, Be I, careful. I apologize. Uh, I, I apologize. Don't make fun of Russ's. <laughs> it's kind of like when people make fun of the M3 Lee. I'm like, hey. hey. Back off. Yeah, you know, leave me. Leave my 10-foot tall and bulletproof alone. Um, uh, Russ, uh, tell us a little bit about the service history. Yeah, a small number were used by the U.S. Marine Corps. Uh, first tank and first scout companies prior to the war. After the attack on Pearl Harbor, the Ordnance Committee determined that a few CTLS would be dispersed to the U.S. Army and employed in the Aleutian Island campaign. If you haven't, we've talked about this Aleutian campaign. We, yeah. And I actually did a video over there in Carthage because the Sherman over there, you know, went with that Took engineer, part of that, uh, yeah. engineering yeah. group. Sure. They grab these light machine gun tanks and they're like, all right, here we go. Put these up there. That'll yes. help. 
but you know, we weren't geared up yet and, and they had already invaded the Aleutian Islands. What became, I mean, these tanks became, you know, frontline tanks for us. Uh, I know. I, don't make fun of them. I know. Okay. What about the foreign use? Uh, several hundred CTLS tanks were ordered by the Royal Netherlands East Indies Army. Of these, a small number were delivered to Java just in time to see combat in the Dutch East Indies campaign following the Japanese invasion in early 1942. Okay, so the Dutch, basically, or the Netherlands uh, army said, okay, we know the Japanese are coming. So they sent them there, and they had to fight there. Wow. 149 from this order were diverted to Australia, where they were used for training. 600... CTLS were delivered to China under a Lin lease program after Pearl Harbor. Basically, the Australians were just using this uh, how to drive a tank, how to fix the tracks, get them familiarized. Sure, sure. And it's a small training tank, yeah. Yeah. So basically, they didn't have anything else. So they're like, okay, let's send them over here. Let's send them over there. Okay. I, and then, of course, the Chinese had what? The old. Renault, you know. Yeah, by that time, that's probably about all they had. Yeah. So they were trying to get them as many tanks as they could. And China is such a huge country. Oh, wow. So they sent 600 over there. 600. But they did have an issue with supplying China with equipment quickly. And that proved a logistical nightmare. And having already been promised several hundred M2A4s and M3 Stuarts, China rejected the CTLS. Now, this left the U.S. Army with 240 tanks it had paid for, but China didn't even want the hassle of being supplied with. So these 240 were transferred to emergency hotspots. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I hate to laugh at that, but... Okay, so we're delivering these tanks for, you know, the Army paid for them. Yeah. It's the Lin Lease, and we need to talk about the Lin Lease. So we really do. Let's try to do that. Yeah, that Let's, needs to be our next one. Yeah. Well, we're going to try to talk about it a little bit tonight, I think. Okay, all right. So the Chinese got caught him, and they said, wait, we want the Shermans, and we want the Stuarts. You can keep the rest of these. Yeah. We don't yeah. want them. All right, well, let's talk about this MTLAS 1G14. We were talking about World of Tanks again, being historical. I actually have this tank in my garage. This particular tank. Yeah, little two-shot thing. Goes, I must admit, I don't think I have mine. <laughs> you know what? Am I missing anything? You're, you're really not. It goes bang, bang, and then it dies. The Marmon Harrington MTLS-1G14 is probably the most unusual tank produced by the Marmon Harrington Company before and during the Second World War. During the spring of 1941, 200 pieces were ordered by the Netherlands Purchase Commission for the Royal Netherlands East Indies Army in a desperate move to equip its army with armor. Armed with twin 37mm machine guns and up to seven machine guns, the tank was one of a kind. Okay, so it's got a double barrel 37. Wow. And they put on an extra seven Seven machine guns. Seven machine guns. All right. All right. I'd like to see it all lit up at once, to be honest with you. Just to- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. I would enjoy watching it fire. Yeah, yeah. And, okay. Uh, this was for the Royal... I'm sorry, this still I makes know, me... I know, I uh, know. The Royal ne- Netherlands East Army. Uh, go ahead and... Did they have anything? Any other tanks? Starting in 1936, the Royal Netherlands East Indies Army tried to re-equip its army as it had been neglected for nearly 20 years. 
They also had four Vickers tanks that were obtained. And satisfied with the results of testing, the Royal Netherlands East Army placed an order for 73 light tanks and 45 gun-armed command tanks. But due to the outbreak of the war, only 20 light tanks were delivered before the UK blocked all exports. They were going to buy these Vickers, and they ordered, you know what, we're talking about what, 73 lights yeah. and 45 of these uh, command tanks, but only they only get 20 because all of a sudden the light tanks, yeah. The, you know, the UK's yeah. in the fight now, sure. and they're like, hey, you know, we're going we're gonna to need every tank we got. That was the end of that. So tell us how we progressed in that. Yeah, the Royal Netherlands East Indies Army turned to the United States and bought a total of 628 Marmon Harrington tanks instead. 200 of these were the MTLS-1G14 model. It was agreed that the complete order should be delivered before July 1st of 1942. Due to the company having no experience handling an order this big, they suffered from huge production delays and only a small number of the MTLS 1G14s made it to the East Indies before Java was occupied by the Japanese and all transports were canceled. The Brits, or the UK, says, sorry, we're going to need these tanks. We're yeah, going to need yeah. everything we've got. No more exports, yeah. No, no more exports. So they turn to the U.S. and they're like, okay, we're going to need a bunch of these. So they order this big, what, 628 of these tanks. Yeah. And then they're like, uh, we're having trouble tooling up. Yeah. You know, machines are breaking down, hiring more people, putting on three shifts. Sure. Doing all this, and they then they get the call. Java got occupied. Yeah. No, we don't need them now. Too little, too late. Sorry. The production order was taken over by the U.S. Army, and production of the 200 MTLS would be stopped by the U.S. after 125 pieces were built because of the Chinese refusing 240 CTLS. So they bought basically 600 for the Chinese. So they Man. get stuck. The Chinese are like, you know what? No. Yeah. No, just just stop. Yeah, you know we, we want our M4s, we want our Stewarts, and they're like, wait, wait a minute, we got two hundred forty of these, and we still have one hundred twenty-five yeah. of these left over. I know. Uh, well, I wonder if the company got the money up front. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, makes you wonder. Well, they're making them, so I'm sure they got paid. You know, poor. It was too late for the, you know Java. The MTLS tank was an enlarged version of the Combat Tank Light series, or the CTL, and which was designed by Marmon Harrington in the mid 1930s. Although the vertical volute spring suspension was reinforced compared to the CTL tanks. It was not really fit to support a weight of 22 U.S. tons, or 20,000 kilograms. The armor thickness varied between 1.5 inches, or 38 millimeters, at the front, and a half inch, or 13 millimeters, on top. The tracks were 18 inches wide, or 46 centimeters wide, and the Hercules gasoline engine produced 240 horsepower and resulted in a maximum speed of about 25 miles per hour, or 40 kilometers per hour the company's having troubles with production they're making these light tanks and they're like no 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 you're gonna have to up armor them and everything and they're like okay we're gonna up arm but they're still using uh, basically they're trying to make a medium tank sure but it's still a light tank in my opinion it is yeah and the kicker of the whole thing is here they are you know having production problems they're 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 stumbling over this and then they're like, we ain't got time to redesign. No. Everybody's screaming for these Too tanks. Late, yeah. So they just threw on a bunch of armor yeah. and it was made for what, 10, 
10 tons and now it's 22 tons. 22 tons, yeah. Yeah. On a little Hercules 240 horsepower. They're lucky to get 25 miles an hour out of it. Four 25 miles an hour (laughs) (laughs) with with seven machine guns. Uh, Anyway. The twin-mounted 37-millimeter L.44 guns were designed by the American Armament Corporation. Both could be loaded with a clip of five shells. When firing fully automatically, they could fire one-eighth of a second after one another. A 30 caliber machine gun was mounted coaxially. They got five rounds, five round clips for each 37. So basically 10 rounds. 10 rounds. So yeah. this thing's going bomb, 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 yeah. bomb, bomb. And then they have to reload it. And they reload each clip. Yeah. But they got their machine guns up there. In theory, I, I, I am... Thinking that yeah. the engineer said, oh, well, we got to put an anti-tank gun on it when it's got to have tons of machine guns. But then they said, no, you got to have armor on it now. Another thirty caliber machine gun was ball mounted in the right front sidewall of the turret, which faced forwards. Two machine guns could be mounted on the back of the turret and serve as anti-aircraft guns. Two more machine guns were mounted fixed in the hull, although most of the times only one was installed while a seventh was located in a ball mount. They just, had them, they just had them everywhere. <laughs> all the way around that thing. I just keep thinking, you remember the old John Wayne movie, the what, the Iron Wagon or the Iron Fortress? What was that called? Oh, wow. The, I think I know what you're talking about, but I'm not. It, it was John Wayne, and they were going to rob a gold shipment, <sighs> and they had a stagecoach that was armor-plated, and they had a bunch of guys, and there were 30-30s. <sighs> You know, the old no, Winchesters yeah. sticking out all over around All it. over the place. And they had a Gatling gun on top. Oh, no. And I'm like, I wonder if this company had anything to do with that. What was the name of that movie? Oh, man. If you know what movie we're talking about, please message Give us, us on, a holler, Facebook, yes. on Facebook. Yes. I haven't seen that movie since oh, my father man. passed. That was years and years ago. The good old days. Yeah. So, Russ, what was the problem with the tank? It's got... Two anti-tank guns on it. It's got a clip, you know, 10 rounds. Has all these machine guns. So what is the problem? The MTLS had some severe design flaws as the vehicle was essentially an enlarged version of a vehicle weighing less than 10 U.S. tons. Now coming in at 22 U.S. tons, uh, the increased weight had a severe impact on the suspension and overall structure of the vehicle, making it very unreliable. Furthermore, the increase of the number of crewmen from two to four was not well taken into account, and as a result, the complete crew had to enter through the top hatch on the top of the turret, which would be rather inconvenient in a compact situation. So you got four guys in a metal box. I cannot even imagine. And there's only the hatch on the top. You know, (sighs) hey, (sighs) the tank's on fire. Yeah. Or like, oh, bugger, the tank's up. Getting four guys out. Okay, that's a okay. That's, that's that, bad. That's a bad design flaw. It is. It is. Even getting in it. Could you imagine me and you no, and two other no. guys sliding? I tell you what, we couldn't have been tankers. Uh, not in those days. Not in those days. But uh, we love talking about them. Yes, we do. Okay, Russ. So we talked about the U.S. Army basically setting on three hundred sixty-five of these tanks and being sent off to emergency hotspots. Give us an example of like a hotspot. Although the Netherlands was occupied by the Germans and the Dutch Indies were occupied by the Japanese, the Kingdom of the Netherlands still possessed colonies in Latin America. These were very important for the U.S. as they provided oil and most of the bauxite that was needed for the production of aluminum. For defense, troops from Puerto Rico were stationed at these Dutch colonies. 
So they're getting these Puerto Rican troops, and that's where they're getting these tanks. They're they're sending them all over to these, you know, uh, you know, like I said, the United States needed this, you know, raw material. They did. They're like, listen, we just need somebody to be able to guard this in case there is an invasion or something of these areas. Yeah. So they went to Puerto Rico and got their guys there and said. Okay, now you're fighting for the Netherlands and give them these tanks. And, you know, they're probably saying, wow, all right, great. This is great. Wait, there's only one hatch? Hey, <laughs> yeah. you know, why are I'm not getting in that thing. Are you crazy? Or do you guys use this? And, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this uh, is the yeah, top of the line. Top of the line. <laughs> only driven once by a little old lady in <laughs> Nantucket. No. <laughs> Furthermore, a tank battalion was founded in May of 1942, and it was based in Suriname. Uh, I did not know that was a country. I failed so miserably in geography. Now, I remember that in geography. And, but. and I'm like, what? Is it a little island? And if we have listeners there, I want to apologize that I didn't know where your country was. Yeah. But they got this country, and they're like, okay, we're going to actually make a division or a battalion of these tanks. So they took a bunch of these tanks, and... Trained up a, a battalion to, you know, help in case there was an invasion. Okay, Russ, tell us the stats. The dimensions of this tank, it was about 4.9 meters long by 2.64 meters wide and 2.81 meters high. Total weight, like we talked about, was 22 U.S. tons or, or 20,000 kilograms. It had a crew of four. It was propelled by a Hercules water-cooled engine that kicked out about 240 horsepower. At a maximum speed of about 40 kilometers an hour or 25 miles an hour. We're talking about that speed again of 25 miles an hour. Now, that's on clear, flat road. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no obstructions. Could you imagine driving around the islands or, you know? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I'd slow it down considerably. Mm -hmm. And like we talked about, the had the dual 37 millimeter L.44 AAC guns for their armament. And it also had up to 730 caliber or 7.62 millimeter Colt or Browning machine guns. 730 caliber oh, machine guns. Man. Okay. Here's the kicker. Where are they going to put the extra ammo for seven machine guns when you've got a crew of four that took up a lot of the... That, that's my point extra space is why do you have in seven machine guns but you only have four guys and one's, yeah. and one's driving i guess one machine gun in each hand for at least a couple <laughs> <laughs> talking about john there wayne again go, there we go they were john wayne in the machine guns <laughs> two in each hand it also had a 13 to 38 millimeter or half inch to one and a half inch armor and that armor was the heavy point heavy point yeah and that's what gave it a design flaw. You know what? Uh, we've covered this, and, and there's probably some more we could cover on this, but I want to get on the Lend-Lease. Yeah. We have talked about that literally for a year now, and there are people out there like, what is this Lend-Lease? Exactly. And, and did it have any support? And the list of countries and the money that we spent now, you got to remember, these are $1945. So, let's say, you know, uh, you got $50 million of $1945 uh, just going off. Today, in 2019 dollars, you're talking billions. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Okay, Russ, uh, start us off with this uh, Lend-Lease Act. The Lend-Lease Act of March 11th, 1941 was the principal means for providing U.S. military aid to foreign nations during World War II. The act authorized the president to transfer arms, 
or any other defense materials for which Congress appropriated money to the government of any country whose defense the president deems vital to the defense of the United States. Basically, Congress and Senate yeah. said, okay, we're going to allocate $50 million in 1941. That That's still very, very tough on us. Because remember, well, sure we just is. came out of the Depression. Yeah, Our tank forces aren't up to speed yet. Yeah, You know, we're just coming out with the lead. And, and, and we're doing some other stuff. You know what? I hate to say it. Um, that's before Pearl Harbor. It is, yes. So Roosevelt saying, we've got to help these people. They're, they're getting slaughtered. You know, the Soviet Union, you know, they need, well, well my favorite, you know, Kansas Spam. Well, sure. You know, and all this stuff. What kind of countries did we supply? And how much did we give them? Well, kind of in alphabetical order here. We supplied the British Empire with about $31 million worth of materials. Good, good. Yeah. Yeah, we provided Brazil with about $372,000 worth of materials. Uh, the Soviet Union, about almost $11 million worth of materials. Yeah. Which makes sense Well, at the you time. Gotta, you got to remember, we're having to ship, and, and you can't oh, use yeah. the Pacific Ocean yeah. and the Aleutian Islands, so we... You know, we're having a tough time. We're having yeah. to go over to the English side. Lots of logistical issues, and, yeah. And, and the British are doing stuff, but at least we're sending what we can yes. to the uh, Soviets and about $11 million. Yeah. And they're like, well, that's nothing. Well, in 1945. In that, yeah. In yeah. that time point, yeah. Uh, Mexico got about $39,000 worth of equipment. France, they received about $3 million worth of yeah. Materials. Uh, I know France, uh, people are like, well, no, they were invaded. Well, they still had other, the French Free Army and mm -hmm. stuff like that we were supplying sure. and food and tanks and stuff like that. What else? Yeah, Chile in South America received about $21,000 worth of equipment. Uh, the Chinese, they received about a million and a half dollars worth. Again, getting stuff to them is really tough because yeah. they're right next to China or yeah. Japan that we're at war, war with. And you also had, uh, oh, several of the other smaller South American countries, you know, had several thousand dollars worth of equipment sent to them. Looks well, like most of the, the countries in South America had at least a little bit provided. Uh, the Netherlands had about $251,000. Well, a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah, a quarter of a million dollars we, of material. And that was helping out. With the East Indies and stuff yeah. like that and feeding their troops and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, I know Saudi Arabia got some, and, and like we talked, uh, we even uh, gave stuff to Poland. They were pretty much invaded at that time. Liberia, of course. Ethiopia, we gave some. Yeah, the lowest one, I think, was uh, Nicaragua. Nicaragua. I think we gave them like 900 bucks. 900 bucks at that time. Uh, Makes you wonder what that was uh, that they give them. And, and I hate to say it. Could have been anything. Uh, it could be rifles. Yeah. You yeah. know, people are like, well, sure. 900 bucks isn't going to buy a bunch of, well, you're wrong. In that time period, it would. Yeah. It really would. But yeah, I mean, there's several smaller countries that we left out. I mean, just, you know, you know, $1,000 here, $1,000 there that, that we provided equipment in some way to at that mm -hmm. time period. And I know we even uh, gave some aid to Costa Rica. Uh, my daughter, of course, you know, spent a year down yeah. there living and, uh, that That's awesome. On the whole, the following conclusion can be drawn. Uh, that without these Western shipments under the Lend-Lease program, the Soviet Union not only would have not been able to win the Great Patriotic War, it would not have been able to even oppose the German invaders, since it could not 
itself produce sufficient quantities of arms and military equipment or adequate supplies of fuel and ammunition. Mm-hmm. And food. And food. And spam, yeah. The Soviet authorities were well aware of this dependency on the Lend-Lease program. Thus, Stalin told Harry Hopkins, which was FDR's emissary to Moscow in July 1941, that the USSR could not match Germany's might as an occupier of Europe and its resources. So even Stalin at that time was like, hey, we need this. We Flat can't, out admitted. We, we it, can't yeah. compete. Because they were knocking on the doors of Stalingrad. And for us, not to be able to ship through the Aleutians or, or you know, you know that, that side, and, and then you have all the German U-boats and stuff, but sending them $11 million worth of stuff. Sure. It, it, it helps. It, it helps. It has to. I mean... Among the majority of Russian historians, opinion was established that the supply of military equipment and materials from the United States and Britain played a major role in the second half of the war and brought victory much closer. But before the situation of the turning point in the war, and before the victory of Stalingrad, the U.S. and U.K. supplies were limited. This was largely due to the difficult situation in the U.K., which was exhausted by the blockade, and as well as the fact that the U.S. military production in 1941 and 42 was in the process of deployment. Such a point of view is stated, for example, in the collection of works of Russian historians, uh, the Great Patriotic War of 1941 to 1945. A lot of people are going to go, you know, the Great you know, Patriotic mm-hmm. War would have been won without this stuff. You have Stalin telling this guy, I need this. Yes. And I don't want to get into the whole debate. If you have a problem with what we've put out go do your own research sure if you say oh no it you know the soviets didn't need 11 million or the british didn't need 31 million or whatever yeah. um do the research you know but i'll guarantee you it helped oh, even if they didn't think they needed it it look, definitely look helped all the prior episodes that we did and exactly. we talked about spam yes. and everything like yes. that and, and, and that these guys would have starved to death in stalingrad Look at the daily rations that the troops were getting. Bread with sawdust, you know, Man. and stuff like that. It's just terrible. It is. It's just terrible. And at that point, we weren't in the fight, and the whole world was looking at us like, are you serious? You're, you're going to sit there and drink your Coke and leave your mirrored sunglasses on and sit on the beach? So FDR, you know, we were very isolationist. Sure. We didn't want to get in the fight. You know, there was a ton of World War One veterans were like, uh-uh. This yeah. was the war to end all wars. We're going to stay exactly. this one out. He's like, you know, FTR was like, we got to get in this fight. And they're like, no, we're not going to do it. You know, and I hate to say this. What if J- Japan had never attacked us? You know, what if they said, Very true. Oh, okay, well, Very true. all right, we'll, we'll back off. We wouldn't have gotten in no, that fight. I don't think so. And the only way we were getting in the fight, the only way we could help was yeah. with this Lend-Lease. The Lend-Lease program. And, and we had, the, that's what we were doing at the time. Yeah. I do want to make clear. When we talk about Lend-Lease, usually in our podcast, it, it's mainly going to pertain to armor right. and, and tanks, but Lend-Lease was on so much of a bigger scale besides just armor and tanks. A- absolutely. It, it was everything. I mean, it, it consisted of anywhere probably from a uniform to a, like we talked about, food. I mean, everything. And you're not going to believe this. Training manuals. Training manuals. Actually going to the book company, paying for the, you know, training yeah. manuals, uh, you know, editors to edit it. Yeah. And, and this is a training manual just for the M1 rifle. And, and we're shipping them over, I but know. we got to ship over these training manuals too. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's all cost. Sure it is. So that figures in. And you got to find somebody to translate it from English to, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. what is Spanish or French or whatever. What, what a great episode, you know. And again, if we offended anybody, that wasn't our point. We were just saying, this is what we've researched. If you have a different opinion, please research it. Please from, do. Oh, every perspective. Yes, yes. I try not just to look at the United States yeah. view. I try to look at the British view. I yeah. try to look at the Soviet view. I try to look at the Japanese yeah. and the German view. I mean, we want you guys' opinions. I mean, give us your comments, everything. I mean, just, we want to hear from you folks. Absolutely. We and, really do. And we just love the comments. Uh, we yeah. asked for uh, comments on the drone. And uh, you know what our number one comment was? Is this real? Is this real? You know, and I'm like, uh, the drone tanks? And it is. they're like, yeah. And it's been real for a few years yeah. now. And they're like, well, are you saying the Russians actually used one in Syria? And I'm like, yes, it, it really did. Do your research. Do your research. If you it's don't, out there. If you don't believe us, you know, we yeah. have. I, seriously, on, on our Facebook, I answered at least 30 people saying, are, the video that you posted, the Black Knight and yeah. stuff like that, is this real or is this computer generated? No, it's real. It's real. It's out there. It's coming. It's still in its early stages, and all the kinks are being worked out. But, I mean, it, it's out there. Yeah. It's like if you go out and look at, like, a brand-new Mustang, you know, uh, the 2019, you know, Super 5.0 Mustang. Yeah. And know that it came from the Model T. That's where we're at, right? We're going to get to one of these super slick, controlled from, you know, Pittsburgh, Kansas, and, and be in combat somewhere in the world. It's coming. And, and it's going to be an armored tank. Let's go ahead and close. Just a great episode. It was. And, and again, a year. It's been great. Incredible. And we so. And Charlie and I have talked about before, did we ever think we would make it a year? Did never. we ever think we would make it a couple months? No, nope. Nope. Not at any time. But, but we've had so much support. I know. You guys out there, the support is yep. and, and you, incredible. And even the people, like I like to call them the haters, you know, they'll say, oh, you messed up here, or you said that wrong. And I'm like, I get names wrong every single yeah, yeah. episode. We learn, I, we learn something new every episode. Right. You know, and then I'll have, you know, people that are professionals come in and say, hey, you were kind of wrong on that. And we're like, thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Now we know. And we usually put in retractions mm -hmm. in the following episode. Well, I guess the happy anniversary. And, happy uh, anniversary. This is Charlie. And this is Russell. As always, happy tanking. And have a great week. <laughs>